The VA actually, under the Biden administration, actually changed the website. It's supposed to drive people to the Mission Act and understanding it, that, that veterans have choices. But it got redirected to a site that really tries to get them to buy into the VA system itself. Yeah, so they actually took down the content that was there in the first place, how to educate a veteran on it and use it. Which was the whole point of that website, Which right? was the whole point of that website, yeah. and then it kind of changed into choose VA. And so they want the veteran to only choose the VA and not the community care that the law allows and promotes. They no longer promote that law that law. Yeah. Um, we have found out through freedom of information documents that Americans for Prosperity uh, Foundation uh, sued for during, for FOIA that they actively train their people to steer veterans away from community care. And they're rewarded for doing so. Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential. And here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, hey, welcome to another episode of American Potential. Thanks for being with us. You know, as we look at wrapping up 2023, and we're excited about starting a new year, we wanted to take time to reflect on what's been happening this past year. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll be taking the time to talk with representatives from Concerned Veterans for America, Libre, Americans for Prosperity, and our very own podcast team to talk about what stories they enjoyed the most, as well as what the organizations have been able to work on this past year. So for our first episode in our end of the year series, I want to welcome back a guest that we had on in one of our very first episodes. We've had him on to discuss what government barriers the Department of Veterans Affairs put in the way of veterans receiving necessary care in a timely manner and how potentially improving the system would benefit veterans. I want to welcome Russ Duerstein, who's the Executive Director for Concerned Veterans for America, on the podcast to talk about what CVA has been able to work on this past year. Russ, thanks for being with us. Hey, Jeff, thanks for having me back. So for our listeners who may not know what CVA is, let's talk about CVA, Concerned Veterans for America, uh, and kind of what your mission is. Yeah, uh, Jeff, I appreciate that. Uh, Concerned Veterans for America started about 12 years ago, and it was kind of born on the precept um, that veterans have something to offer when it comes to freedom. We have a, uh, a unique relationship to that having raised our right hand and pledged to defend the Constitution of the United States, put our freedom, our liberty, and ultimately it could even cost us our lives on the line for what you know our founding fathers uh, came up with in the Declaration of Independence that was captured in the Constitution. And that unique relationship to freedom is has brought veterans to a place where they're credible messengers. So the precept was how do we get veterans serving their country again after they've left the military. And that's kind of how CVA was born. You know, one of the things that I, I, and we talked about this when you were on the last time, but I want to reiterate, because I love the fact that it's concerned veterans for America, not concerned veterans of America, but for America. Why, why, the, why is it that? Yeah, that's probably the most important word uh, here. Uh, the idea that uh, veterans can bring something uh, to the American conversation that lifts all Americans and not just veterans. That makes us unique in the veteran space. A lot of the veteran organizations are about, you know, how do we improve the lives of veterans? 
This organization is how do veterans improve the lives of Americans. And uh, we have some uh, powerful things to say and to lead on. And that's our mission. We're more focused on America than we are on, on ourselves or on, on our fellow veterans. Now, one of the things that I think uh, you've, you've had a great year trying to hold the VA accountable. <laughs> let's talk about that. The Veterans Administration, I, I guess, first of all, let's talk about uh, a little bit about why they need to be held accountable. I mean, there have been some real failures on the part of the Veterans Administration with regard to veterans. Um, and so let's talk about some of those failures and why they need to be held accountable. Yeah, if you don't mind, first let's talk about why they exist, which sure. they exist for a very uh, legitimate reason. Uh, you know, after the Civil War, President Lincoln uh, said that we needed to have the ability to take care of the orphans and the widows and those that are wounded in battle. And so the concept, and it really kind of took uh, full bloom after the First World War, was uh, veterans will have unique health care needs um, due to combat and et cetera. And the government realized we didn't have a national health care system that could really address mass, ca uh, mass casualties. And so it was a noble thing to start, but the ability to take care of veterans' health care needs in the modern time set is much different than it was 100 years ago or 130 years ago. Uh, we have national health care systems and doctors and, and things that are much different. So the VA needs to be held accountable in that its mission has changed considerably from 100 years ago. They still run it like a, a, federal, a centralized bureaucracy, which sure. causes most of the problems we face. Well, and I mean, what I find just incredible about what's happened with the VA is it seems like they've really tried to force veterans into the VA system, quite frankly, for job security. I don't know any other way of saying it, but to keep that VA system running. And it, it, Concerned Veterans for America isn't opposed to a VA healthcare system. You just want the, the, the choice, the opportunity for veterans to choose, whether it's community care or care at a veterans uh, VA facility. Uh, that's exactly right. When you think about any uh, any entity, it could be business, it could be a monopoly, but um, this happens a lot with government. When you're not forced to compete with others and your customers are taken for granted, the abuse within the system becomes huge. And the priority becomes not the person you're treating, but the bureaucracy itself. It's budget, how many people you can hire, that becomes the number one uh, priority. But when you have to compete for that customer, like like you do in the free market, it changes your focus from yourself to the, those that you are serving, and that is probably the number one root cause why the VA has been neglectful of veterans. Is there is no you know need to compete with with other folks for services provided to veterans. You know, and we see that. In fact, I there's a common theme in this podcast, right? Which yeah. is removing government imposed barriers. But we talk about the idea of choice, and I, I think back on, uh, you know, we, we're, we were just talking about this, 130-some episodes of this podcast. Almost every one of those has a common theme, and that theme is choice. Absolutely. People being able to have choice, whether it's in K-12 through education, where they would send their, their kids to school. Parents ought to be making those decisions. There ought to be choices for them, not a government-imposed solution. Um, you know, energy. That that when we talk about energy, that government shouldn't be picking winners and losers, but the free market ought to be making the the best choices, and people ought to be free to choose within that. Healthcare in the civilian sector or the private sector, we talk about all all the time how 
the government's actually the barrier in so many cases uh, to, to good quality healthcare being delivered because it, it gets in the way. We just did an episode that I recorded yesterday on certificate of need yep. and you know how that is government saying you need a permission slip and, and it's, it's creating a, a barrier, but here you see it, right? You see where they're trying to trap veterans into a system kind of for their own job security uh, so that they can keep that VA system, but at, at what cost? And the cost is good quality care that the veteran gets to choose, right? No, that, that, that's exactly right. And if you, when you think about choice, choice is power. And each individual having a choice, individuals have power. And a bureaucracy's desire is to collect that power from the individual and use it for themselves. And so we find in almost any situation where if the government's going to spend money on behalf of the citizen, you're much better off with millions of citizens making millions of independent decisions about how to use that power. It applies with the GI Bill. Uh, the, the the veteran doesn't go to a government-run university. It applies right. with uh, their um, their VA loans. So the power of the individual to have that choice is what's at stake here. And we don't need a government bureaucracy to collect all that power up and use it for themselves. Now, just recently, uh, Concerned Veterans for America broke some news uh, <clears throat> involving the VA and people who came to the United States illegally. Yep. Uh, what happened? Tell us about that. Yeah, so that uh, community care is something that it was a response to the VA Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Hospital scandal. Uh, choice was introduced in 2014. And in 2018, the Mission Act came into place. And essentially, to, to make it simple, if a veteran had to travel too far or had to wait too long, because of the long wait lines that came out of the Phoenix uh, scandal, uh, the idea of being able to send a veteran to his local community became very popular. Uh, President Trump signed that into law. And the first year it was implemented, many veterans used that. Their wait times were shortened. Their travel times were shortened. became extremely popular. Then during COVID, and especially since the Biden administration, undercutting that has greatly increased. They took down the website that educated veterans on how to access it, how to use it. They were supposed to educate veterans that it was there. They didn't do that. Um, and so you could clearly see that the, that choice was being eroded every single day. Then recently, we found out that as um, unauthorized migrants were coming across the, the border, we had ICE agents who would take these, these people needing health care. They couldn't travel far. They had to have it quickly. So did they send them to a government doctor? No. They sent them to the VA healthcare community wow. system. And so you have veterans who need access quickly and in a short distance, can't get it, and we turn around and we take these unauthorized migrants to those systems. So we, we know – there are uh, lots of lots of monies getting poured into uh, local doctors uh, treating these immigrants that are supposed to be treating veterans. Just it's amazing. How, and so, how widespread or have we found out how widespread this was? We're just starting to to peel back the first layer of the onion and to find out. We know that there's been uh, at least seventy five million dollars spent on this uh, this last year. Uh, we understand that the um, <clears throat> uh, House Veterans Affairs Committee and Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, they're, getting, they're starting to get data. There hasn't been an official investigation opened yet, but we understand that that's probably coming uh, next year. Uh, December's almost over. Uh, but um, 
yeah, just starting to scratch the surface on how bad this is. Now you touched on this a little bit, but we and we did a podcast episode about this, but the the VA actually under the Biden administration actually changed the website. <laughs> like like it's supposed to drive people to the Mission Act and understanding it that that veterans have choices, but it got redirected to a site that really tries to get them to buy into the VA system itself. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so they actually took down the content that was there in the first place, how to educate a veteran on how to use it. Which was the whole point of that website, Which was the whole point of that website, and then it kind of changed into choose VA. And so they they want the veteran to only choose the VA and not the community care that the law allows and promotes. They no longer promote that law that law yeah Um, we have found out through freedom of information documents that americans for prosperity uh foundation uh sued for during for foia that they actively train their people to steer veterans away from community care and they're rewarded for doing so uh and this was not the intent uh that congress that congress the elected representatives of the citizens and of course president trump signed that bill into law that's not wasn't their intention in passing the Mission Act, right? Exactly. Uh, they were outraged over what they'd seen in Phoenix. They were outraged over you know the veterans dying from getting yeah. not getting health care in time, and so the American public reacted very strongly. Um, very proud of that. That folks that had never served got upset enough to call on Congress and the president to change the law, and they did. And and honestly, a lot of a lot of civilians that I talked to think the problem is fixed. They're just now becoming aware that the VA is actually undercutting the law that they helped pass. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. The fact that they would change that website. I mean, I'm going to equate it again to like a school choice issue. Let's say that in a community, they pass school choice and they say, here, here's a website that tells you what your educational options are. And then the local school district redirects it to their website and says, here's your choice. It's our school district. It's unbelievable that that government would do that. Perfect analogy. But government is always looking out for number one. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And we should be looking out for the veteran. And that's, that's the whole point of this. So looking back on 2023, what's some of what in your mind, what are some of the great things that CVA has been able to be a part of? Well, of course that, and the education and exposing uh, via healthcare and where the VA is at, that's been extremely exciting. One of the things that we've really enjoyed is doing town halls across the country. A lot of elected representatives um, partnered with us. We were able to bring the public in and watching this, this ground shift um, from not only veterans understanding the habit. I can't tell you how many veterans did not know that community care existed. And so that was a huge pleasurable thing to get to do. Um, so not only doing that, but raising awareness in the media and then being able to also drive on, you know, foreign policy. Um, one of the things that we're very concerned about is America being overextended. Um, and so being able to watch that shift in thinking and understanding how the economy, you cannot be a military superpower without being an economic superpower. You cannot disengage from sending troops all over the world, you know, being engaged in a 20 year war, if we had bad energy policy and that causes us to be engaged in the middle East. And it also empowers Russia to be an aggressor when world oil market prices are really high. 
So being able to really uh, tap into those two things, the, the impact on America from you know, these forever wars and the impact on America, if you look at enlistment rates and retention rates, are way down. Uh, it's as bad as it's been since Vietnam, the end of Vietnam. Um, how do we ask that next 18, 19-year-old person to step up or the 20, 22-year-old person to become an officer if they see what American foreign policy is and they see the broken promises to veterans? So finally getting to turn that ship around and getting it at least paid attention to has been the two most pleasurable things that CVA has been engaged in this year. Yeah. Well, that that's great. And and I'm I'm thankful for CVA you know, being engaged in those deba- debates. You talked about energy. I want to talk about that a little bit because it's a common theme that uh, whenever we've talked about energy production in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the show, we had a congressman on, uh, Congressman John Curtis from Utah on the podcast a little bit, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks back. And he was talking about how important it is for America to be energy independent and the fact that We've kind of got, gotten away from that. We've been trying to push this narrative of, you know, uh, we've got to move everything over to electric. It's caused uh, countries like Russia to start increasing their production. They don't produce it as cleanly as the United States does. Or as cheaply. Or as cheaply. <laughs> right. That's right. And uh, not only so, not only are we foregoing the American jobs that, that the energy sector can produce in the United States, but it makes for a much more dangerous world when we're, we're not uh, energy uh, uh, independent in the United States. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Uh, if if you remember how we defeated the Soviet Union in the Cold War, uh, it wasn't on the battlefield. It was through economics. And American energy production skyrocketing, lowered, lowered oil prices, and it bankrupted the Soviet Union. That and other factors. But their military was defanged because their economy collapsed. And a big part of the economy was expensive oil for, for Russia. Once those oil prices were lowered, America became stronger. The Soviet Union became weaker. And the same is true in the Middle East. A lot of our adversaries, Iran, uh, even China, benefit from high world oil prices. It is in our best interest to produce energy cheaply. It, it depowers uh, our, our adversaries in the world and gives us a stronger upper hand when it comes to global economics. Uh, it's it's interesting you mentioned the Cold War, and uh, you know Mikhail Gorbachev, yeah. the leader, the Soviet premier at the yeah. time, um, it admitted that he said, you know, I knew we couldn't keep up with the economic output of capitalism. We just couldn't do it. We we knew our military was strong. We knew we could compete with the, the United States on several fronts, but we knew our economy wasn't going to be able to. To withstand what capitalism had uh, in store for it. I mean, that, and ironically, happened. 30 years later, it's still true. Yeah. Um, you know, these, um, I won't call them tyrannical government, but centralized power governments cannot keep up with the power of a free market. Um, a free America with great uh, capitalistic tendencies outproduces them every time. And for us to restrict ourselves is basically to give power to our adversaries and to weaken ourselves. It's unacceptable. It's the whole purpose of this podcast, right? And, and bringing uh, to bear people's understanding that government really messes things up when they start picking winners and losers. And it doesn't matter whether it's choice, it's uh, healthcare for veterans, healthcare for civilians, education, you know, no matter energy, no matter what it is, 
when government gets too involved in that market and skews it, it's a bad thing because they just don't know how to make the right decisions about those. You know, we don't give enough credit to each individual and it is millions of people making millions of independent decisions that has always made America great and powerful. And we need to go back to that. Yeah. Uh, we need to quit transferring power from the hands of the individual and giving it, ceding it over to the government. Centralized planning yeah. does not work. So we were able to share uh, over this last year several stories from CVA and yeah. veteran stories. Are there any that that really pop out at you that that maybe were your your favorite stories? It doesn't have to be one on the podcast, but but just your favorite story of a veteran maybe whose life was changed through interaction with CVA or in general. Yeah, Jessica uh, Velasquez down on the uh, Villarreal. I'm sorry, Villarreal uh, on uh, in South Texas uh, yeah. used to be a VA employee, uh, yeah. uh, Army troop, right? And uh, her husband needing it care as well worked at the VA for a while, and her heartbreaking story of what she went through and then what she tried to do to help veterans at the VA and then becoming disenchanted there. And she had a front row seat of how government bureaucracy just grinds people down. Um, she told her story, captured on video. We got to see it at the all-staff retreat. Very powerful. Um, the ability to tell what it's like to get liberated from that system and to have choice and to have her life change and her husband's life change, uh, she being a caretaker for him, is one of my favorite stories. Um, very powerful um, when I look at um, veterans who um, had they gotten the care they needed, um, I, I think of a story of uh, two folks. One was able to get spinal surgery, had the exact same injury, C4, C5 area, um, couldn't get it from the VA, got it privately. He's up and walking, and his friend did not have the resources to go to a private doctor. He's now in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And that simple surgery, had the VA been able to provide it in a timely manner, could have been the difference from him walking and being in a wheelchair. And so um, that contrast um, motivates me uh, when I see it. In the yeah, yeah. You had a you did a a series a project this year called My VA Story. Yep. Uh, talk about the idea behind that project and what were some of those stories. Yeah. So the um, ability for um, the public, uh, to see what veterans go through. It's hard to describe. You can, you can read stats and you can read all sorts of stuff. And I think Stalin once said uh, a million, uh, deaths is a, is a t statistic, but a single death is a tragedy. And so when you are able to tell a single story and you can record a veterans, um, much like we're doing right now, and you can see it in real life and then, you know, have that posted or, or it, we've done just, you know, thousands of those. And it's really helped shape public opinion on how this is a, uh, a tragedy. You know, those that go out to uh, defend our freedom and put their lives on the line, uh, the American public love those people and they don't want to see them treated poorly. So my VA story was really a way of how to emotionally tell a story and put it out there for public consumption and honestly move our elected officials. Yeah. Um, the, Christmas time, holidays uh, are, I'm sure, a very interesting time for the military and for veterans. My wife is a, I always t t used to introduce her and I'd say she, my wife was an army brat and I emphasize the word 
army. <laughs> not that, the brat not part. Not the brat part. Yeah. But I'd always make her think I was going to say brat. Um, but she grew up. Her dad, 32 years uh, in the military, retired as a brigadier general in the army. And, uh, you know, I just, I talked to her about the, her life in, in, and, you know, for families, for military families, uh, Christmas times, sometimes a really tough time because you got your, your dad or your mom deployed somewhere and it could be for a very long time. Deployments have been stretching longer and longer. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, you, you're, you're in the military, you've got a, a, a family member who's in the military now, right? I mean, that, that's a, to people who haven't served, explain what that's like and how we as Americans can maybe support these families at Christmas time. Yeah, that's that's a terrific uh, question. And I, I, to your your point about your wife being an army brat, I think what a lot of folks don't don't realize is the whole family is committed to service. Right. Uh, I'm so proud of every husband, wife, mother, father uh, that supports a veteran in the field. It's really hard on them. Um, and then when you think about them being gone for uh, for holidays, I've had to work on holidays. Um, that that happens. But when you think about them not being there for months before the holiday and then months after the holiday because they're on a six-month or a one-year deployment, that's hard. And then you think about actually sitting down at Thanksgiving or opening Christmas presents and that person hasn't been there for months and they're not going to be there for months. It's gut-wrenching. And then so when they are there for special holidays, for Christmas, um, it's – it's really special. And so you have a time to come together and, and it's, it just makes the holidays that much sweeter. And I think about, uh, every holiday, I think about my son being deployed to Iraq and missing his son's first birthday and missing, um, his, <laughs> his first Christmas. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty emotional time. Yeah. And, uh, I look at him now, he's now 19. He's a, a sophomore in college. And I can't help um, think about Christmas without thinking about his first Christmas away from his daddy. Yeah. And those are moments that they'll never get back. Like there'll never be another first Christmas or, a, you know, and, and so that's a sacrifice that veterans give to their country. They do it for their country, uh, but it's something they're never going to get back. And uh, it's, you know, we've got to always remember that um, it's, it's, it's really tough. I, I mean, I get teary-eyed just thinking of some of these videos, right, of, of veterans coming home and being in a box and popping out of a Christmas I present. Never, never gets old. I mean, it never gets old. It's amazing yeah. to see. And, and you know, kids uh, so surprised that their mom or their dad, you know, come home for that or, or show up at a Christmas play at school or something. So those are, those are great. Uh, you know, I always think two of the families that serve alongside their, their service member you know, when uh, you would get sent to a new uh, duty station, you had a job to go to, right? You got there and you showed up at work and you had all that. It was your wife. It was your kids who had to put the, the pictures on the, hang the pictures on the wall, the family pictures and, you know, get things, uh, get things set in the house. So it's, it's really a service for the whole family to do it. And we have to thank those folks at this time of year, particularly. Absolutely. And it's, it's part of what I love about CVA build, uh, community building. So many of our volunteers are those very folks that had to hang the pictures on the wall that had to help, you know, husband or wife move while they went and did the job. 
And when I see CVA communities across the country, they're set up almost the exact same way. They have this instant bond with one another. Um, they help serve one another. And it's almost like they were back in the military again. And that sense of family, um, when you walk into a situation and you meet a veteran, another veteran, you instantly have an emotional connection because of that types of things you had to do to suffer together, to work together. And then the spouses and the kids, they fall right in. Uh, and it's, it's so much of what makes volunteering at CVA so powerful is that sense of being back in that family environment that you had when you were in the military. Yeah. Um, if folks want to know more about Concerned Veterans for America, how would they, how would they go about doing that? So you find us at uh, cv4a.org, C for Concerned, V for Veteran, the number four, uh, A for America, of course, cv4a.org. Um, we have a lot of great projects, electronic petitions, communities uh, all over the country that folks can engage in, volunteer with. We do phone call, phone calls, door knocks. We go to local office visits. Um, we've had veterans go to see their elected official that we've never met in person. Uh, they found out about our issues. They signed our electronic petition and uh, contact us. Want to know if they could go talk to their congressman? We told them how to do it. And so uh, that's uh, start there. And uh, we'd love to love to have you on board helping us. And I, I should have started the episode by saying this, but thank you too for your service. Thanks for your service and to your family for standing by you through that service. But America is only free because men like you stand and, and fight and defend it. It's our privilege. Thank yeah. you. All right. Well, we've talked so much about concerned veterans for America and veterans and a uh, special time of year for, for veterans and, and their families. And I hope that, you have uh, enjoyed watching, obviously, the podcast through the years and us telling some of the stories over this last year of veterans and how they've kind of overcome some of these government barriers. If you'd like to get involved, uh, contact Russ and the folks at Concerned Veterans for America. Uh, remember, freedom and liberty. Uh, we've got men and women all across the globe, day in and day out, who defend freedom and defend liberty but we've got to defend it here at home too. And that's what the call for CVA, uh, Concerned Veterans for America, that's their call right now is they're still serving, they're still defending liberty and still defending freedom. And I hope you'll join them. Thanks for joining us on this episode of American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.